Welcome to the Emerging Minds podcast. You're with Dan Moss and today I'm talking with Jonathan Main. Jonathan is a social worker and the Executive General Manager of Policy and Programs at Relationships Australia, South Australia. Jonathan has over 30 years experience in the provision of services to children and families with complex needs, both in clinical and management roles in the health, welfare and non-government sectors. The major focus of his work has been in the provision of services that promote the healthy development of children, young people and families, and in community engagement programs that promote social inclusion and participation. In today's episode, we discuss some of the implementation drivers at Relationships Australia, South Australia, that promote child-focused practice in services that work mainly with adults. Jonathan shares his insights on how screening, assessment, practice policy, recruitment and supervision all have a role to play in ensuring that children's social and emotional well-being is at the forefront of all service delivery to adult clients. Jonathan, welcome. In your long history of working in both NGOs and government organisations, do you think that child-focused practice has become more commonplace, particularly in services that work predominantly with adults? Yes, I think it has. Um, I mean, I think if you look back over um, really the last 20 or more years, our knowledge of child development, child development milestones, um, our understanding of neuroscience and particularly the, the impact of uh, our understanding about um, neuroplasticity in the brain, not just in the early years but now in the first 1,000 days, I think has really given us uh, a very strong uh, idea of how future life course outcomes in terms of health, educational outcomes, um, abilities for social and economic participation have all been much uh, enhanced by our understanding of child development and, and neuroscience. So these things I think absolutely underpin much of the work across the health education and community service sectors. I think also there's within that uh, a lot more uh, recognition that even for people who aren't involved in delivering uh, services to children, understanding the effects for children of the particular challenges or difficulties that parents may have um, or adults may have can be seen through the lens of a child. Um, and so to that extent I think uh, our sense of being child focused in our practice has become uh, much stronger. And I also think our child inclusive practice where we are actually directly involving children or the voice of children in our work is something that has, has grown significantly in the last, as I say, probably 20 or 30 years really. And that, that idea about neuroscience and, and neuroplasticity isn't just something that is the early years or the first 1,000 days. We also understand that there are particular milestones and transition points, particularly going into adolescence but also later in life, where there is still capacity for us to understand from neuroscience um, um, individuals' capacity to learn and develop. And, and I think that informs our thinking in the way we deliver services and the way we use our knowledge of child development with a neuroscience lens. So, attracting staff with common understandings of the importance of child-focused practice. Can you tell us a little bit about how you've gone about that within your current services at RASA and what have been the most important aspects of that? A lot of attracting staff is about being clear about who we are and what we're doing and I guess as an organisation we put that fairly up front in, in what we do and I think most organisations do that in their own ways. For all of our services, we have a very whole of family focus anyway. I think there's a couple of important elements to that. One particularly is having 
a universal and holistic screening tool that we use, um, which in our case is the, the family doors, the detection of overall risk screening. That's an important aspect of our practice because that covers all of our services and is really saying we're wanting to screen um, for all issues and risks that people might present, even though they might be presenting for a very specific and in fact an adult service like say a gambling help service. Um, so for staff coming to our organisation or people coming to our organisation, they understand that these are important elements of our clinical framework and our clinical practice and these are things that are underscored by having um, a robust client relationship or client management system, information system um, and robust data. So this is making sure that we've got uh, a commitment to good clinical practice underscored by good clinical information generated by um, robust screening um, and assessment, risk assessment processes. Uh, so if that's you know kind of an upfront, up, uh, sort of front and centre, I should say, element of, of our what people know about us as an organisation. These things are then part of what we are looking for when we're recruiting staff. Uh, is an expected element of being part of RASA, and I know other organisations do that in similar ways. I think in our case, we probably make that very evident through the sorts of, of uh, ways that we uh, promote the service, the ways that we talk about what we do, uh, the ways that we then recruit staff and looking for the sort of skills and commitment from people who are, are really wanting to practice in that space. So just looking at that from a, a recruitment uh, lens for, for a second then, um, are there particular questions in, in recruitments in adult focus services that uh, might be asked to, to kind of um, find practitioners with these skills or knowledges? Our family doors uh, screening tool, um, that's something that's written in the position description so people can't apply for a job not knowing that we use family doors, we use it as a universal screen across all our services, it's a holistic screen. Within our position descriptions it's also evident that we have a good or a sound robust clinical governance framework. So supervision, willingness to be part of regular supervision with line management and in a clinical uh, practice leadership uh, framework as well. Um, support for professional development uh, becomes another part of that. So all of those elements are written into a position description which it, obviously we are then asking about. And that's in addition to other things like um, a sound knowledge of child development, a sound knowledge of the socio-political context of people's lives and how adversity impacts on their lives, whether that's through dealing with issues in relation to child protection or family and domestic violence or gambling uh, related problems or more simply relationship difficulties that people can experience wanting to seek a service. So those elements are incorporated within our position descriptions. Um, we contextualise those key elements in saying this is what a, a, a practitioner is required to do in RASA um, and if that's what you're up for then we'll be asking you about that at interview. And that's been particularly around so how do people reflect on their knowledge of child development um, and what are the key milestones that might impact in the case of people who are working in services delivering directly to children. Um, in the case of uh, practitioners who might be recruited into services that are adult focused, it will be asking about their knowledge and understanding of child development and how that might be evident in helping them understand uh, adults who are presenting for support. So it is very much a, a, a matter of, of saying the totality of a person's presenting circumstances is seen through a variety of lenses and we really want people to understand that the, the lens of children and the lens of those broader, if you like, socio-political contexts of people's lived experience are important ones that we need to ask at interview. We would like to obviously see that 
demonstrated in the sorts of um, background experience. Mm. Thanks, Jonathan. Um, so tell us a little bit about the evolution of, of Family Doors at, at Relationships Australia, South Australia, and, and maybe how this has um, put children's social and emotional well-being at the focus of all practice. Yep. So a significant part of our services involves providing mediation and counselling for uh, high-conflict families, both pre- and post-separation. In the context of particularly post-separation high-conflict families, We've been aware as a number of other agencies and in fact as we know in the community of the particular risks, uh, fatal risks for most often women and children in those circumstances and through our own experience felt that we needed to have a much more um, robust and integrated tool than the range of tools that are variously available for the purpose of screening and risk assessment. Um, we also wanted to make sure that we were getting from both parents uh, their perspectives not just on their children, but their perspectives on uh, their partner or ex-partner, um, their perspectives of their safety, and in fact their partner or ex-partner's safety. Um, so realising that what we didn't have in the various separate risk screens was something that was integrated and was holistic. Um, and so in that context we've then said, well, this is something that we need to be doing across all of our services, uh, including if people are coming for um, uh, an individual service as an adult for something like, say, uh, gambling help. Um, we also know, for example, in our homelessness programs, uh, one program in particular where we support women and children who are homeless as a result of family domestic violence, if we were simply um, using um, uh, an individual screen around family domestic violence, risk and, and safety, we might miss important information if we're not also uh, engaging the parents around uh, what does this mean for their children? And so uh, we've realised across all of our services, including our um, community development, multicultural services, around our specific adult specialist support services, as well as our, our uh, family counselling and post-separation services, that uh, a holistic screening universally applied is a really important foundational element of a robust clinical engagement with families. Mm. And through the Family Doors uh, process, has it become evident that a focus on children is actually, um, has increased over time through the, the practice that is offered even in adult focus services? Uh, for the clients that we see, about two thirds of our clients are parents, whether or not they've actually presented for a parenting or relationship concern. What was interesting for us about that research that we did of our own data is that people presenting to, uh, if you like, generic services, so not specifically family or parenting programs, were showing higher rates of parenting stress and concern about their parenting than people within uh, those programs where they were coming along saying, I want some help with my parenting or I'm concerned about my children. So that really told us that without asking the sort of questions that we are within a framework like Family Doors, we wouldn't be getting information from those other clients uh, about concerns as it related to children. So if we have somebody who comes along to, say, a gambling help service, uh, they might be coming along with a host of issues related, obviously, to their gambling. It may also include drug and alcohol-related problems. It might also inevitably include some kind of financial difficulties. And we now know what impact this might be having uh, for those who, are, uh, who have children 
um, on their children. Uh, we're getting information from them about their concerns about their parenting of their children, which we wouldn't normally be asking if they were just coming for a straight up gambling service. So this is important information that then helps us say, well, what other support do people need? Um, and so make sure that we're then able, in what I would say is a more robust, robust clinical governance framework, to say we're able to better identify and assess the risks and safety issues. So has your experience of Family Doors then told you that if you ask parents the questions, they'll more than likely answer in a, in a truthful and, and generative way? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we certainly find that, um, and we use DOORS not just in a paper version, but we also have it in a NAP version, so people can then simply do it through their electronic device before a, um, a session with us. Um, we know from, again, our own analysis of researching and surveying with clients, their, their um, feelings about using um, the DOORS screen. Um, and uh, there's people are overwhelmingly comfortable with using that, partly because we are asking. And I guess that's one of the things, you know, I've mentioned earlier about restorative practice, and that is something that we see as important as an organisation. One of the underpinnings of restorative practice is about um, being able to have difficult conversations in a supportive environment. Um, one of the first ways that we indicate to clients that we're prepared to have difficult conversations is by being prepared to ask difficult questions, whether that's in person or by way of a, a screening uh, app or a screening tool. So clients overwhelmingly have said that they uh, are happy to have these questions asked of them. Um, we know that by and large people are absolutely honest in the way they do that. We also know that like with any screening or risk assessment process, people will be prone to depending on the circumstances, either minimising or discounting the significance of a problem or even denying the problem is there. The advantage for us in asking up front, A, as we communicate the message that we're interested in knowing and we want to talk about this, we can also see from, particularly for example, if we've got two parties, two parents, let's say separated, who have completed the door screen, we have a double description from each of the parents about concerns in relation to the other. So if one person were to answer that something wasn't a problem, like being harsher than usual in their parenting, or for example, um, uh, that issues of violence weren't, uh, weren't present, and the other parent were to say the opposite, then we've already got something that tells us, okay, we need to ask a little bit more into this. That might be something that we do over the, over the space of time, and we often come back to, um, if not the whole door screen, certain areas of risk that are identified in that screen throughout the process of our engagement. So we understand that for some people coming to a service, um, and one very clear and obvious example is men who use violence, for example, often don't put their hand up and say, I'm coming here because I've got a problem with violence. Many do, but there are some who do it because you know, they feel like they've been coerced either by a court or a legal process, or they feel like um, they don't have a choice because their partner's told them that you know, if they don't front for service, then, then their relationship might be um, in difficulty, so, or you know, a, a jeopardy, I mean. So we already know that for us, in certain circumstances, we can expect people not necessarily to be telling us uh, exactly as it is, but once again, uh, we start that process off by saying we're interested to know, we want to know, we're concerned about a whole range of issues relating to what's going on in your life, even though you might have come along for one specific thing. Um, so I think that's a, a sort of a powerful message to communicate in a restorative kind of way. It is saying um, we want to have those difficult conversations and we will ask into these spaces obviously respectfully and, and appropriately um, within that, that context, 
certainly screening risk assessment, our use of doors, and the ways that we then come back to that are important elements of, of engaging those conversations. So within that, how have you supported the development of a staff team, um, a practitioner team, who can ask these kind of difficult questions sometimes of, of parents about their children, but to do it in a way that doesn't reinforce stigma or blame or a punitive approach? Well, that's a, and that's a really good question. And on one level, I think because we want to take such a, um, a holistic approach to it, we immediately are engaging this idea that certain presentations, how things look, isn't necessarily how they are. So we know, for example, that uh, within a lot of the family violence services that it can be, um, particularly if people aren't necessarily presenting with family violence, but it's a background issue that we discover subsequently is present. It's very easy for a person to present themselves or to be understood by a service as um, the parenting problem understood in terms of how they're having difficulties managing their child's behaviour. Um, that can often, in the context of family violence, be referenced against poor parenting on behalf of the mother. You know, so these notions that mother blame can often be a tripping up point within services if you don't have enough information about what's going on in that person's life or that child's life. So within the context of providing, let's say, a family, a child-focused service, um, a lot of the support to staff is helping them look at what sense do they make of the information that's come from DOORS. Being, again, you know, really clear that DOORS is a self-report. It's not a, an administered um, uh, assessment process that's led by a practitioner. So it's not just me as a practitioner doing this piece of work, but actually I've now understood that there's drug and alcohol issues and I'm now getting a bit concerned by the two DOORS self-reports that there's a bit of a discrepancy here. I'm wondering what that means. Maybe I should be talking to a a, a practice lead or a practice manager in relation to this. So these are the kinds of things that we have in our client information system that helps trigger how do you engage the broader care team, which effectively becomes like an internal case conference. Mm. Um, who else do we need to be engaging? Have we engaged everyone else uh, in terms of other services that need to be engaged? Do we need to in fact convene a case conference with other agencies and other sectors? So how do we know that we're working both together in an interagency wraparound sense, but how we're working well ourselves with our own work lining up with what we've been hearing from clients through screening and our own risk assessment. Mm. So as part of these processes and maybe other processes, um, is there a sense of confidence within your organisation that all practitioners are operating from a consistent child-focused point of view? I think as we um, move through the various challenges that all organisations face um, around uh, recognising that when you implement anything, whether it's a risk screening system like DOORS, a clinical governance system, uh, a child inclusive practice or child focused practice framework, you never just implement it and tick, it's done. You know, it's always about then what do you do to help maintain and sustain uh, those systems. So for us within uh, our organisation, uh, we do that continually really through that process of, of supervision. We, but it's also important because we are data driven as well. It's important that we don't just say we do it, we say well, where's the evidence of that? Are there explicit expectations in a um, practitioner's um, performance appraisal or professional development systems mm -hmm. which um, asks them to demonstrate core competencies around child-focused practice? Um, we, we deal with that 
Probably mainly through, so again, actually, if you go back to our annual review process, so all practitioner staff, uh, well, all staff, in fact, have an annual review um, with their line manager. For our practitioner staff, recognising that they have practice supervision, in some instances, group supervision, depending on the area, there are practice supervisors who then have a relationship and a knowledge of that, that person's practice uh, across the year. What we've done is made sure that the annual review process, which is still a management-led process, has feeding into that um, a separate annual practice supervision review that is conducted by the practice supervisor with the practitioner, and that's done about three months ahead of our annual review process, so that the management supervisor who's leading the annual review process with the, the staff member has for his, herself or himself uh, a copy of that annual practice supervision review. So that annual practice supervision review is to make sure that we're not just saying we're going to do it on the management side of the equation, but from a clinical governance perspective, we want the practice supervisor to be able to review with their practitioner all of what they've been doing across the course of the year. So central to that are a number of key themes. One of them is around our cultural fitness and our practice around working with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander families and communities. Another one is in relation to family and domestic violence issues. Another one is in relation to are working uh, with children and being child focused. And we didn't realise, um, you know, for example, that, that uh, amount, that figure I quoted earlier, that uh, two thirds of people who present to our services uh, are parents of dependent children. Without knowing that, we might not have even thought mm. to say, well, are there, is there a child lens that we could be asking about this person's presenting concerns? Okay, so Jonathan, I'm interested when a um, parent does come in to an adult-focused service and answers a question on the family door screening tool, uh, which might alert you to the fact that there are some, some issues which might be affecting the social and emotional well-being of, of their child. Um, how that is kind of picked up in subsequent um, mechanisms in your organisation. For example, do case reviews allow uh, practitioners time to reflect on whether there's been some practices which have helped that parent get clear about um, their or someone else's concerns? When people are completing their case notes um, within our client information system, the workflows identify when we say, well, okay, there are issues around, as you can say, social and emotional wellbeing, for these children. We know that from our client information system then it means that uh, any flags that arise uh, in the context of the door screen or our subsequent risk assessment, so given that we've got information, parent self-report, um, that has us the opportunity uh, to ask into uh, the issues that, that have been raised uh, through the screen um, and from that we then assess the risks that we see for that child's social and emotional wellbeing. And if there are particular risk or safety concerns, or indeed particular um, resilience factors that we, we pick up, then that gives us the opportunity to respond to those at that time. Now, part of that process also means that in, includes and enables a risk assessment or a risk escalation process. So where, for example, we see risks, and it might be, for example, that there's a, a reference to child safety which is not clear in a follow-up conversation with a parent. That then gives us the opportunity just to, to ask into that more and to say, well, we notice here you've talked about harsher than usual parenting. Let's say that's one of the, the, uh, the screening questions we'll ask about. And if a person has uh, expressed that they, they feel that their parenting has been harsher than usual, 
then what does that mean in terms of what's going on for you and what's going on for your child? What does that mean in terms of what your child uh, might have been experiencing? Now again, we might have a parent uh, in a position where they're um, telling us very clearly what's going on and it might be their behaviour or it might be the other parent's behaviour. Or we might otherwise have concern that what we're hearing may not account for um, everything that we, we see in front of us. Um, and so that then will have us uh, saying, well, I think if there may be a child protection risk here, for example, then if I need to make a notification, then in our process that becomes a serious and complex matter. And that then invokes, uh, well, who do I need to consult with? So I'll at least consult with my line manager, I may consult with my practice supervisor, it may become escalated from there to include a practice manager or uh, another person in the line management chain depending on the nature of the risk and the, the, the seriousness of it. So that's a way of making sure that when flags are raised, A, we respond to them, we can see how they're responded to by the practitioner through our supervision and clinical governance processes. When a serious and complex matter comes up in our system, it is then signed off in our client information system by uh, the relevant uh, line manager and next line manager from there. So that way we make sure that no individual practitioner is left with managing risks which are uh, unknown to our broader clinical governance system. Fantastic. Thank you very much for your time, Jonathan. Good. Appreciate it. Visit our website at www.emergingminds.com.au to access a range of resources to assist your practice. Brought to you by the National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health, led by Emerging Minds, and delivered in partnership with the Australian Institute of Family Studies, the Australian National University, the Parenting Research Centre, and the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners. The National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health is funded by the Australian Government Department of Health under the National Support for Child and Youth Mental Health Programme.